Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello everyone, welcome back to part three of the Stompcast. We are just taking a little breather on, on the bench at the moment. Rolo's having a little rest as well. We've done lots of, uh, uh, of stomping and it's a really nice little spot here. It's a beautiful day and you can hear the birds kind of singing away. And I feel very much in touch with nature. Mm. Do you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, definitely. It's been lovely. We talked a lot about the kind of positive aspects and actually some joyous aspects of, of getting involved in activism, but it can be tough as well. Mm. And I'd just be keen to hear what is it like when you see um, a certain narrative in the news, you know, when you look at, um, often I think these days there's an extreme of either people are really behind certain campaigners or, or activists, or particularly I feel like a lot of the media is quite against sometimes yeah. the, the kind of climate movement and people who are out there campaigning and, and whatever. You know, how, how, how is that? Because you are people, you're individuals that are behind, mm. uh, you know, these storylines. How do you take that is it is it hard and and mm. and how do you look after yourself through all of that it is it's definitely difficult um there are i think i do talk about the positive stuff a lot and i, I want to make it clear that it's not blind optimism or sorry it's not like um i know what you mean yeah it's one-sided yeah, view yeah it's, just, not, oh, it's great all sorry, the time sorry trying to lick me in the face but at the same time it is it is difficult and i think especially when those of us who are trying to just kind of build a world where we live in dignity. I don't know, today I did an interview with like a mainstream media platform who were very kind, but also still kind of represented me saying that we should live in, all of us should be able to live in dignity as this like very naive, youthful, like idealistic viewpoint as if it's not something to be taken seriously. And I find that so frustrating sometimes because I, it, yeah, it is annoying that those of us who are trying to build a better world sometimes get like a lot of a lot of flack for mm, it mm. um but i think i just remind myself of like why is it mainstream media is doing this and in the uk for example um six billionaires own 80 percent of the uk media um and so it's those we have to think about whose perspectives are being sure. prioritized and i think that a world in which everyone, a stat, by the way it's it's, it's wild it's isn't it it's actually wild that's the, i feel about. like the health fact for weeks probably been blown apart by that <laughs> <isn't> it? <laughs> but it's but it's completely like and, and, and that, that, I think, gives me more understanding of why certain narratives are being pushed, because I think a world where we all live in dignity is a world where we don't have a billionaire class that extracts huge amounts of wealth from the majority of people. And so, therefore, they're going to influence the media and what we're being taught. And it's not a conspiracy, it's just the reality of, like, obviously, they're not going to want messaging put out that would remove the existence of billionaires. Um, and so I think that I just try and remem- remind myself of that. And then also I try and remind myself of, there's a quote by Adrienne Marie Brown in, in her book, and um, We Will Not Cancel Us, which is so brilliant. I really recommend it. It's super, super short as well. And she just says, like, ask yourself, like, who benefits from my absence? Who benefits from my despair? Mm. And I think I always ask myself that question when I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed by whether it is how we're being represented in the media, or whether it's an, a news interview that I've just done, or um, or whether it's people online being mm. intense. Um, I just ask myself, like, who is it that would benefit from my absence mm. in this moment? And I think often I think who would benefit would be like the fossil fuel industry and like 
the kind of a, a, the ruling class who are oppressing a majority of people and I think I get kind of almost annoyed enough at like <laughs> them winning um, I'm like I can't let this stop me from doing mm. the work that I I think I need to do. It's a great, it's a great quote for anyone actually to think mm. about um, when we're in moments of despair. And then, um, you know, I've got, uh, I've got a few, you know, I've got a few tattoos, and one of them says, "This too shall pass." And it's also mm. that remembrance that even when you're in that moment of frustration and it has things aren't working, you know, it, it's not giving up because you know it's that relentlessness that that makes the um, success uh, inevitable almost. That is the true. That is the truth. And most things that are really really important and worthwhile and that do require change re require a lot of hard work and a lot mm. of gritted teeth i mean you know we've been working for a good few years towards getting early support hubs funded mm. trying to tackle some of the uh, some of those uh, health inequalities by providing places that pe young people can genuinely go and get mm. support without having multiple barriers to access of, uh, of support for their mental health and, and it's been hard you know I've, mm. I've I've had to push so hard alongside many others and we're still you know we're getting there and I think we're very close I think mm. I believe yes. to getting these hubs uh, uh, funded but it has required a lot and there's been moments of despair I mean I said um, I think I've mentioned it before on, on, on another platform that you know I presented to, to Boris um, all the evidence of the hubs so this huge kind of presentation all his advisors asking questions, he was asking me questions. Um, we then had a round table with the kind of leaders uh, mm. in this space from the Royal College of Psychiatry, from the charities, and the overwhelming feeling was this was a really positive thing. I really felt that the Prime Minister was, could see that we need to do this, and a few mm. weeks later he was gone. And I said, mm. like, you know, from a very selfish perspective, of wanting to get this over the line, mm. that despair of being like this puddle, you know, you're so mm. close, mm. years of hard work pulled from you and you go, mm. where do we go now? Mm -hmm. And I had to take a real breather and kind of like step back for a couple of months and take a real breather before going again, because mm -hmm. it can really affect you, that kind of knockback, sure. can't it? You know? For sure, and I think that we do need to pay attention to how we're feeling in these moments, because I think that we want to be doing this work for a long time. Mm. I think that, I think almost too often, we can have like really short bursts of energy or people become passionate about an issue and they just try and do it all immediately and, and then burn, burn out. out. Yeah. And then just can't do anything for years <laughs> after. And I think that what we what's required for like real drastic change to happen is like really sustained like picking, kind of almost like chipping down at something. Um, and it might not seem as exciting and it might not seem like anything's mm. happening. Um, but I see it kind of, I use this metaphor quite a lot because I kind of become obsessed with mushrooms recently. I think a lot of people have. Mm. Um, I went on a foraging like day um, with someone who actually follows me on Instagram, shout out to Fern, um, who reached out and was like, you look very tired. Do you want to go into the woods for a day and try and find <laughs> some so. edible mushrooms? And it, was, and it was it was great. But after then I've become like obsessed with how, how mushrooms and mycelium work. Like while we're walking around, while we've been doing our walk here, like underground there are thousands, millions of mycelium networks growing we can't see them, but they're there and they're growing and they're nourishing each other and supporting each other. Um, what we will see is maybe one day, like, I don't know, a chicken of the woods mushroom, like this amazing edible mushroom will sprout up and mm. we'll be like, that's a miracle, that's incredible. Mm. Um, but what we haven't seen is the, the networks that have been invisible under the ground and have been nourishing each other and growing constantly. And it's those networks that allowed for that kind of miraculous mushroom to grow. And I think that that's kind of how change happens as well is that there's lots of slow, quiet, invisible work mm. that's happening and that's growing networks um, that allows for these kind of big wins to happen. Um, but for in order for them to continue, they have to nourish each other and they have to and we have to believe in, in the importance of the invisible work as well as the kind of very public and easily celebrated work. And, and that's, I think, has helped me make a lot of 
peace with a lot of mm. the things I'm doing because especially the nature of the work I do it's like very big picture in many ways and therefore there aren't a lot of wins along the way um and they come in like blocks of like where's a win but yeah. it's a good point about it, and that also the mushroom uh, yeah as you say that pops up that might be in the you know that may, might be Martin Luther King or might mm. be someone else that you kind of pick that name out and go yes they did that but actually mm. there's so many people that might have worked or did work towards yeah. that that you'll never hear their names exactly. and that doesn't invalidate what they've done mm -hmm. at all and also important for people to realize that yeah that there are those people you might not see them but they're really working mm. it's kind of like with the hubs and the hubs when the hubs do get through, yeah. when we're like, "Raul, oh, Alex has achieved all those hubs. No, that's not true. You would have he seen and heard me because I guess my skill is communication. I have the platform, but actually, no, I'm just one person mm. amongst hundreds and thousands of other yeah. people who have wanted to get this through. And my contribution is no greater or smaller mm. than anyone else's. We have all worked together. And it's sometimes just realizing and remembering that as well. Actually, when you're celebrating different people, just remember that there are a lot of other people that work sure. incredibly hard towards that too. I think that's something that makes me did for a while make me very very uncomfortable with the work that I'm doing is that is the fact that there's a there's a chapter in the book on like collectivism and individuals and like it's I think it's called heroes won't save us but community will it's been changed so many times that I'm like <laughs> that. was that the actual title um but it's basically on the fact that I think this like hero worshipping it does obscure the contributions yeah. of many yeah. people and and I think for me what helped me a lot in realizing my own role is also looking through history and realizing how many people made things happen. I think we know, for some in the civil rights movement, we know the names of like maybe Rosa Parks and we know like Martin Luther King Jr. But even Dr. King, he was like chosen by like six black women in the church who were already organizing for civil rights who needed a face of the movement because yeah. they realized that we live in this very individualized world and that that would help. But they'd already been doing this work for much longer as had like hundreds of thousands of people and many people who even like gave their lives into that struggle as well. And so I think realizing like, yeah, that it is really ordinary people. as. I think it's it's really helped me gain perspective um, and I've also kind of had to come to terms with the fact that and, and that my work even though it's weirdly like platforming and stuff I can find a way of trying to not obscure their contributions in doing it because I think for a while I did feel a bit uncomfortable with like how much I would almost get given credit for work that other people And also actually <laughs> let's flip the other side though for a moment and remember that actually with, with that as well you also get a lot more flack. Like one of the things, you know, and I, sometimes I do remind myself sometimes where I'm like, oh, you know, this, I hope, you know, there's a lot more people than just me doing this. Mm. Also, you know, let's be honest, you know, I, I also get stick as well. Yeah, and like, yeah. you know, there are people that when I started in this space, like, why is he the person that's working on this or that mm. or the other? And you almost have to again remind yourself, like, yeah, if I it was like, all right, fine, I'll walk away, I won't do this. Who's going to miss my absence? Exactly. A great point yeah. was that all the young people that I could actually help by just, mm. you know, doing my doing my bit so mm. Haya how do you deal with with the kind of negative side mm. of it because you have you know you have you, you've been involved in genuine activism you've gone along and you've 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 really gone to make um a kind of a visible difference to create a stir to try and create a, a change how do you deal with that kind of negative flag either mm. personally mm -hmm. or also just directed generally towards that space I think that's a really good point because I think that by being more visible there are some like yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's, I mean, there's a chapter in the book called "Too Radical or Not Radical Enough," which is basically about this fact that, like, for many people, I'm not radical enough. For many people, I'm too radical. Mm, it's so almost true. like not knowing where to fit. And, and in that chapter, it's like an exploration of like what should we actually be wanting. And I think in part of it, for me, I've had to really ground myself in like what visions am I trying to represent, and therefore what communities am I am I wanting to be accountable mm. to, um, and 
and I have to learn to also trust myself and trust why I'm doing this work mm. and, and, and what I'm doing. And then that has really helped me in what the work I'm doing. I'm no longer just trying to like, I think for a while when I do media interviews, for example, or if I was doing a news interview or something, I'd almost be wanting to like um, <laughs> impress or appease the people who already follow my work. Mm. And kind of, it's almost like I had this like bingo sheet in my head of yeah. if I say these phrases, if I say these words, people will be like, yeah. But if people who are watching at home, if the mum who's in the corner of her kitchen doing the washing up while the news is on, doesn't understand what I'm talking That's about so true. because I'm using That's jargon, so true. then what is the point of what I'm doing? Like, the point of doing this stuff should be to reach outside of the bubble mm. as well and should be to, to try and bring people in. Um, and I think too often sometimes, and I think it comes from like a, a, a fear thing around how scary it can be to be online, I think, that we can be trying to like almost impress or please the wrong people mm. rather than actually um, taking a step out of that. Well, we often try and please the people that we think can hurt us the most or mm. say the nastiest mm -hmm. things or mm. kind of really attack us. I mean, I, I left Twitter for various reasons. I just, mm. I just don't mm -hmm. like the space. Um, but I found when I was on there is that there are certain groups of people who label themselves as activists in the mental mm. health space who seem to take quite pleasure in really attacking me because they're like, you're not extreme enough, you're not. Because I was in an odd situation where, or I sit in an odd situation where mm. I sit very closely with the people I want to make change, mm -hmm. who I also am very, very aware that, that uh, you know, in many ways I'm trying to get them to do this. And it's, mm. you know, I'm sure you can understand what I'm inferring. Mm. Um, but also on the opposite side, I don't want to be so extreme that the people that I want to help me mm -hmm. won't then engage. There's mm. a little bit of in between. There's, there's many ways to, to kind of get to the end yeah. goal, but it's a difficult, it is a difficult, challenging balance. And I've seen people before me who have been too extreme, too mm. extreme, who've either alienated the general audience or the people in power just dismiss mm. completely because they're seen as right. Your opinion is because you're so mm. extreme. And I know there's multiple layers to that, and I know mm. that that's not as simple as much more nuanced. But it is a challenge, and and I think it is thinking about who are you trying to reach here, and try not to be sucked into yeah. just like I've got to speak a certain way or say certain things mm. because these people attack me on Twitter if I don't. It's like, who's like the mum at home or the dad mm. or the, the young people? Who, who am I speaking to at home that maybe would actually engage in this, who really want to hear this, that I can mm. make it, you know, understandable in what I'm, mm. in what I'm saying. I don't either turn them off by saying, you know, saying it in such a jargon way that, like, oh, this isn't for me, or you don't scare them away as well, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's why audience, I think, is really important as in thinking about who are we actually trying to talk to. And I think that there are like a multiplicity of, of roles in in the in the chapter kind of too radical not radical enough. I, I talk about this because I think that there is there is like validity in in thinking about like are we affirming institutions that shouldn't be kind of affirmed? But then also it's realizing that all of us have different access to power and different ways that we can use certain things. And and there's a I, I refer to an essay by Aurora Levins Morales, who's like a Jewish feminist activist, and she writes about um kind of when we can't have everything right now, how do we take the path that allows us to have everything in the future? So in that way, we're not compromising sure. the better future, um, but we are realizing that we can use different systems that we have access mm. to, to get to that same future, as long as we aren't taking the path that compromises mm. that future. And that's, I think, a way that I also like, view a lot of the work I'm, I'm doing is, um, I think that we can like kind of misinterpret um, Audre Lorde's essay on the master's house sometimes. So there's an essay called The Master's Tools Will Never Dismantle the Master's House. And sometimes that gets interpreted as mm. we can't use any of the existing systems to create change. But if you if you read the whole essay, that's not what she's saying. Mm. She's saying that we can't replicate the same systems sure. of like 
platforming and idolizing people and like um, kind of individualism and of like patriarchy within our spaces mm. that are trying to cause change. But she's not saying that we can't try and like manipulate existing mm. power structures to try and create a better change. But I do think there's an, mm. there's an important conversation that can be had around like, um, like abolition versus reform. And I definitely sit more on the abolitionist side, but, um, but I, yeah, I think that we just need to be really intentional about what we're doing and who we're talking to. And, and on that, like, I think making things accessible is so important. Um, we can focus, I think, too much on, in the same way of like wanting to impress people mm. who already care. Um, but on like, I don't know, like this kind of like self-congratulatory, yeah. like we already know this and we feel great about it. Mm. When actually I think that what we should be wanting to do is, is reach outside of those spaces. And the only way we're gonna do that is if we try and be accessible. And that was a big motivation for, for me for writing the book was I realized that a lot of these ideas are only really talked about in very academic books or very kind of climate circle yes. insular books, and they're not actually trying I think to reach you're outside. Very, I think that. you're very wise with that. I think you're very wise because I think that, that, that I think that I personally feel that some of the mistakes are those two extremes. I think mm. either it's very scientific literature. People mm. are like confused, but they hear stuff said by the WH boss of the WHO, and they go, yeah. "What the hell's going on?" Don't understand it. And I completely get that because actually some of it for me is like, "God, this is a bit boggling." Unless you know, unless you spend a lot of time really sitting with that. And I love data. I love science. But to sit with all that stuff, it mm. takes a lot of time for, for most people. Uh, or you've got people because that feels very too hot to handle. Or extreme to mm. so make it accessible is so mm. important. One of the things that I'd like to kind of touch upon before we do our health fact of the week as well is like that, that point of um, being really focused as well and just having, you know, we, we, we just before we started recording, um, you were asking me about um, where, you know, myself practicing um, medicine and um, my answer is yes, but not in the hospital. Mm. And I've stopped doing that about a year ago because I realized I was trying to do everything and mm. that was actually damaging my ability to achieve. Mm. And in the mental health space, you know, when I started, you know, I've actually been working in the mental health space for a good number of uh, years before I was appointed ambassador, but I think that's when people were aware of me so much in that space and all of a sudden all the requests are coming, you need to do this, this needs to change, that needs to change. And I tried to do it, I tried to say yes to everything, let's do it. And then I realized that I wasn't actually able to commit purposefully to anything. Mm -hmm. And then that's when I kind of realized it's like you can actually only really have one priority. Mm -hmm. it, you know, priority is a stupid word because mm -hmm. you, can, you can only have a priority, you can only be one <laughs> priority. So there's one thing that I'm focused on, I will say early sport hubs. Um, mm -hmm. But there are a few other goals you can have alongside that. But being focused is so important. Mm -hmm. That applies if you're listening, whether you're thinking about climate change, or whether you're thinking about general goals in life that ability to kind of focus in mm. is really important isn't it so first of all it, you know just to reflect on that thought and and yeah if there was that, that, that one like for me is early support hubs if it was a quick you know if you could say just a short piece on what your mm. in you know your what is your next win that you want to see i'd be keen to hear that mm. i i think i i would i would agree because i think that um i was also someone who tried to do too much mm. and wasn't doing a lot of the things as well as I could have mm. been doing them. Um, I was at medical school and would be, do like a 12 hour placement shift and then come home and do a boost news interview and then do like five Zoom calls with people all across the world around different climate campaigns. And you're studying. And, and we're studying. And oh my gosh, I was yeah. absolutely exhausted. And, it, and that led me to one, to burn out, but two, to like, I, I really remember that there are certain things I was doing where I was just not prepared enough to do the things, whether it was I was interviewing someone for an event or something, I'd just be so underprepared because I didn't have the time to, because yeah. I was doing 10 things at the same time. And I think that there is something to be said about us like becoming very, very good at what, mm. at what we do and being able to do it better and more effectively. And I think that to do that doesn't actually mean that we have to, I think sometimes people act as if to do that, it means like tunnel visioning on one mm. thing. Um, 
but I think that what's important is that we have an awareness of everything else mm. that's going on and how our one role mm. plays into that ecosystem or into mm. that kind of like knitting of things together. Mm. Um, and that's why like whilst I think people might think that, um, gosh, my book's trying to cover a lot of things, but I think it's because it's just trying to illuminate the reality yeah. of the connections of everything. And that once you understand those connections, maybe your role is to really focus on one thing. Mm. Maybe it's to focus on mental health and have this really specific mm. goal. But if you're doing that with an awareness that we mm. are in a climate crisis, that we, that many people in this, in this world are like forced into poverty mm. because of very systemic issues and that we live in a world where there's lots of where racism is like a very big mm. power structure if you have those awareness then the way that you're even doing that work exactly. will be impacted by it and will, will be weaved into it and i think for me in a in a very like i guess gosh i'm trying to think what's my one i think my one goal at the moment i mean this book has been one big thing and and, mm. and with that has been communicating the connections of these issues mm. has been like the the big goal for now but that in connection to, on the campaigning side like my big aim is that we leave fossil fuels in the ground. We have no mm. new fossil fuel projects, and that means like globally, and that seems huge. Um, but even even that work, if I was doing that work just tunnel visioned on emissions, so if I was like I'm going to just stop fossil fuel because, mm. just because of emissions, um, then I'd be like leaving out the rights of workers. When we do stop these oil fields, we do mm. like kind of transition away from this industry um i wouldn't be paying attention to like preserving their rights or i wouldn't be paying attention to mm. and we, how we do renewables how do we do it that we're protecting mm. the rights of peoples where mm. those are extracted and so it's i think it's very possible to have that target so for me my goal mm. is like no more fossil new fossil mm. fuel projects but in that target and in kind of focusing my work on moving towards that goal um i'm still having like an expansive mm. awareness it's awareness i mean it's like for example so you know for me, like I am, um, I'm. What I've learned is to be comfortable that I don't have to know everything mm. about what's going on in the mental health. So I know lots mm. of projects that are going on right now and campaigns, and people are working towards things. For example, like getting the universities to sign a ledger to agree that they will um, take responsibility for students' mental health. I know that's going mm. on. I'm mm. not involved mm. in it. Um, other than supporting it from mm. afar or sharing on social media. I'm not involved directly in that campaigning, but understanding how yeah, what I'm doing fits mm. into all that, fits into the wider conversation around uh, finances, you know, with thinking a little bit wider about the climate change. It allows me to kind of realise where it fits in that bigger system mm. without being daunted by the fact that I, I'm not involved with everything mm -hmm. or that I don't have to. And, and no. to that point about, you know, you're saying about, right, we're going to stop any production of new oil fields and, and you kind of zoom in. Well, actually, you can have you know, a hundred people, for example, that are mm. focused on this, but you can actually focus on a different part of it. So you could exactly, be yeah. communicating. Someone yeah. else needs to know about law or understand about yeah, law, and, 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 and that's fine. Yeah, and research. Like exactly. We have, and I think exactly. that having people focused on their particular roles, I think for, for a long time, I didn't see communicating about this issue as a valid role. Like I thought, which to me is bizarre. Yeah, <laughs> but, it's, but in my, I think that like I'd made me. it in my. No, it is bizarre. But I'd made it that. Oh, I can only communicate it if I'm also doing ten different other things that validify me communicating about it. And I actually had to realise recently, like, no, I think I've been called to communicate, and that's what I'm. That's what I'm best at. Um, and that that should be if I invest a lot of my time into kind of nurturing those skills, I'll do that much much better than if I'm trying to do like ten thousand things at the same time um, and kind of having this be like an add-on. And so I think that in this in a similar way, I know people who their entire life is that they research about so they they do the research so that we know which oil fields are kind of coming up for approval, so that when when Rosebank was announced, we already knew that was going to happen, for example, or that. All that so that we have stats like the fact that this one oil field um, would create as much emissions as 28 
um, of the poorest countries in the world combined. Like we only know those things and those things are only usable because of people using their particular skills um, and honing in and focusing on that. And so using what we're good at and like honing that really well and, and what we care about, it's um, Ayana Elizabeth Johnson. She's a um, climate scientist in the US, a black climate scientist. And she says that um, to find our role in the climate movement, we need to kind of draw this Venn diagram. And the three circles are one of them is like, what brings you joy? Mm. One of them is what are you good at already? And one of them is what do you care about? And it's in that intersection between those three that you'll find your role. And that role is your focus. And, and, and that focus doesn't like mean that you ignore everything else that's going on. It means that you are able to effectively kind of mm. change things because you're doing what you're good well, at. Well, it's where your 70% it. is. It's kind of your yeah. vision of your 70%. You have your peripheries that focus on the 50 on either side and your 70 is is in there that's yeah. where your energy is well can i just say you are a, a fantastic communicator you're very inspiring <laughs> i left this conversation feeling really positive uh, about it and i feel have, i feel like i have a really you know you've opened my eyes to a positive insight in what we can do and i know that the stompers will be passionate about that and i'm sure and you've all found that really useful let's dive into the health fact of the mm -hmm. week i mean you've given us some fantastic facts so um <laughs> let's do let's do the health fact and pop up the notes my phone um and as i said before i haven't seen this yet i always okay. always react nice. to it so let's do it so notes so the health fact of the week you actually mentioned the Lancet in part one, mm. and that's where this week's facts of the week comes from. So this Lancet, which is one of our main medical journals, a study of children between 16 and 25 in 10 countries found that more than 45% felt that worries about climate change affected them every single day. So that's Oof. 16 to 25, 10 different countries, nearly half. Mm. And we know this to be true, actually, very much in in the mental health space, I mean, the Royal mm. College of Psychiatry, who um, actually were quite loud, actually, around um, the, the last COP meeting. Um, and people, as I said before, people were kind of slightly surprised. Why is psychiatrists talking about this? Mm. Well, because they see it. They mm. see the climate anxiety and the effect that has on, uh, on young people. So first of all, I, I'm guessing I can know the answer. Mm. Does it surprise you, um, first of all? And just, just a quick recap of some of the reasons maybe that they can feel positive in terms of mm. where they can actively get involved and actively feel reassured. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, so yeah, sadly, it's not very surprising. Mm. And I think that I'm sure if we actually looked on a global scale and if we included mm. like the um, also the perspectives of people who are or the mental health impacts on people who are actually experiencing the climate crisis, yes. that I think sometimes we can leave out like the mental health impact of your home disappearing or of um, flooding like that is that's huge. And I think that sometimes we act as if like climate anxiety is just this like distant thing when actually yeah. for some it's people for it's almost very... the thing almost for the people of privilege yeah exactly yeah. And, and actually my friend um tori Choi has a book coming out called um it's not just you which is all about mental health and climate anxiety amazing um, well, I, well please send me a link to it yeah I'll... i think you'd really enjoy it yeah um will. coming out this summer um and I, I think that yeah as we talked about a bit before i think that a lot of that anxiety comes from feeling like there's nothing we can do about it. And so I think I just want people to know that I'm not gonna offer inspiration in the sense that you, we can't just sit around and expect things to change. Um, but what I can offer is what has helped me and what has helped me get from that space of like feeling quite like arrested in fear um, was just joining in with other, with other people and joining a community and joining a collective and, and, and using my particular skills to, to try and change things. And, and that could be as small as if you're, I don't know, if you're at university joining like a people and planet society or something like that, or whether 
you are like an older person you want to join like a community group in your area and you want to even do i know that over the pandemic um when the during the lockdown and we're still in the pandemic but during the lockdown um people were doing like lots of more mutual aid than normal they were supporting their communities they were really supporting each other i think that whatever you kind of it can be realizing that you have your own power will make you feel so so much better so do join whether it's people in planet or stop cambo or green Order rising or any of or just Glencore, you can drop us a message <laughs> um, there are so many different groups taking so many different actions from so many different angles if you're interested in, men in mental health as well there's an organization called force of nature that um and the, the resilience projects both of them run kind of climate anxiety workshops and work with young people to try and move that kind of feeling of fear into action um and so i think that just yeah don't believe that we're doomed and and then act with the belief that we can change things and that's well, what will make you feel thank you so much and of course make sure you get a copy of the book because exactly what you're talking <laughs> about in your in your book as well so thank you so much well i just want to say we're coming to the end of the walk i really really enjoyed this i, I honestly feel i genuinely feel really inspired so Yay. thank you so much and rollo have you enjoyed you're looking up at me in the sunshine he's very happy as well to be out having a stomp so you know i wish you you know the best of luck i can't wait to have a read of your book it's going to be fantastic thank and you so much yeah just good luck with all your adventures thank you for having me and thank you rollo for walking along with us yes he's a good boy <laughs> So guys, well done again oh for joining. Yes, there's so, there's so, there's so many cute doggies. That was a little buff ball, wasn't it? Oh <laughs> Rolo got another friend. Uh, guys, well done for joining uh, us on the Stompcast. Also, shout out to everyone that's joining my Strava uh, challenge. Uh, three 20-minute walks uh, a week to help your body and your mind. We're raising money for young minds as well, which is amazing. So guys, thank you so much. Well done. I'll see you very, very soon with another Stomp. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.